Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sans Pants Radio. Make war, not love. Welcome to Movie Maintenance, where some topics just need discussing. I'm Kath. I'm Sean. I'm Gabe. And this episode is going to be What Makes Horror Scary? All right, we, I would like to start by saying what horror films do you guys like? Where do you stand? Are you a fan of the genre? And if you are, or even if you're not, are there any films that stand out to you? I'm terrified of horror films. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really seek them out. Every now and again, Gabe will be like, you have to watch this one, and so I might. Um, I don't know. I've watched a few more. I've watched a few in the last year or so. Because you watched A Ghost Story, which would you classify that as? Horror? It's not a horror film, though. That's no. just Rooney Mara eating a pie for 15 minutes on <laughs> it's screen. A documentary. Yeah. Saturday night. The only horror was that I paid money to watch it. <laughs> um, no, like, you know, I've seen It that just came out recently. Oh, and what did you think? I haven't seen it. Um, I would go to it if I, if I got a good recommendation. I would go see it. I think it's a well made film. It's not particularly scary outside of the. I really. The first scene's very chilling, but other than that, it, it led a bit too much into like CGI gore mm. rather than. Right. I, I prefer, like, I mean, I don't really have a preference with horror because they all freak me out. But it's something like The Shining, which kind of like creeps under your skin, which I appreciate more in a horror story. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, see, it's a bit weird because like, because I, I love horror. And um, and I think I've said this in other episodes before, but just like the very brief version is that, you know, as a kid, I was terrified of the idea of a horror film. And I remember it was like a sleepover party once where somebody was like, oh, we're going to watch Jeepers Creepers. It's the scariest thing ever. And I spent all night being terrified, being like, oh, no, it's an MA rated movie. How am I going to do this? <laughs> and you didn't this? want to because kids then, notoriously love horror because yeah, it's seen as the I was ultimate absolutely adult. terrified. And I had this idea in my head that it was going to scar me for life. And I remember watching it and then about 20 minutes in being like, this isn't scary. I mean, it became scary retrospectively when I found out the director was a pedophile and still working. But wow. true story. Wait, which film true is True story. Jeepers Creepers. The first one? <gasps> yeah. Oh, I remember the trailer. Scary. Yeah. yeah. Film. I was like, but nah, not, not aside from that, the first time ironically, it didn't scary. scare me as a kid, but doesn't as an adult considering the, the anyway. context. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. God. But yeah, like I got through, the, got through the whole film. By the end of it, I was like, that was just dumb. And then that kind of started off this quest that I think took up most of my teenage years of trying to find a horror film that would scare me. Right. And- Honestly, I, I watched so much horror then. Like, I watched all the classics. I went through all of, like, all the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I went through all the Psycho films. I went through and, – like, and I love a lot of those. Those still would make up a lot of my favourite movies You're to this day. You're a big Psycho fan. Yeah, oh, Psycho's one of my all-time favourites. And, and like, Psycho's if you definitely look at, uh, horror, sorry? Well, yeah. I, mean, I think we'll get into the divide between horror yeah. and thriller yeah, a bit later. Okay. But, I mean, if you look at my top five favourite movies, Jaws, Psycho, Science of the Lambs are all on there and all of them could comfortably be categorised as horror. Yeah. Right. But – as to whether or not those films really scared me, the only films I can think of that truly terrified me at different points in my life, one was The Ring, the first time I saw it. The first Ring absolutely scared the shit out of me. The other one was The Grudge, the American remake of The Grudge, which I yeah. watched not long afterwards. Not as good a film as The Ring, but also scared the absolute shit out of me when I was watching it. The Shining was mm. one when mum was like to me, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you this DVD to watch because you like horror. And I was like, this movie was made in the 70s. It's not going to – no, it, How I slept with you? the lights on. About 15. And your mum gave you the shining. Yep. See, my mum just straight up was like, nah, you're not watching this stuff. And I was like, I didn't fight it because I was like scary. And so I, it was funny. Okay, well done, mum. I was 15 and mum wouldn't let me watch Science of the Lambs, which of course I'd watched like 
20 times by that point. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, oh, no, you can't watch Science of the Lambs. But The Shining, on the other hand, which oh. will psychologically fuck you up, that's okay. Whereas like Science of the Lambs, which I've never found scary, I found compelling at edge of your seats, and yeah. I love it. And a little but, gross. And a little so, gross, but yeah. I never would have called The Science of the Lambs truly scary. And I, I think – and, and then the final paper, film – On paper, it's scary. Yeah. Though. Like well, if you read a description of both of those films, as a, you'd have to think that Silence of the Lambs was the scarier film. The scarier of the two. Yeah, on paper, not in the experience no, no, no. of it. The but Shining is like has... some guy goes to a hotel, he's like a bit crazy. But I think that comes down to what scares you because like – Yeah, I guess so. That's because true. for me uh, – and the, the final film on the list that like – and I think it's still to this day the scariest film I've ever seen in my life is Mulholland Drive. Right. Which I don't know if you could really call that which, a horror film. It's a David wild. Lynch film, which <laughs> yeah. is a genre in and of itself. Oh, yeah, fucking but, hell. And Inland me, Empire is the scariest film in the world because it's such garbage. Well, it's <laughs> it's <laughs> scary how much time I lost on that film. <laughs> I think, like, the thing that really scares me in film, and, I mean, like, obviously stuff like Psychoscience Lambs, like, you know, real psychological horror based on, like, serial killers and murders and stuff like that, obviously I think if I encountered any of those characters in real life, they would scare the shit out of me. But in film, what I think really terrifies me is the unknown mm-hmm. and the unexplainable. Yeah. And it's things like in Mulholland Drive and The Shining where it's never really explained what's going on or why. All we know is there is this horrible, unknowable elemental force that is making really, really terrible things happen. And like Mulholland Drive is one I always come back to where I think the reason that film is so terrifying is because I believe it perfectly captures what a nightmare feels like. And nightmares are illogical. Yeah. And they make no sense and things just happen. And in the in the process of them happening, it's terrifying and it's unexplainable and you can't control it and you can't master it. And that's kind of what Mulholland Drive and The Shining both feel like, where it's like this inexorable yeah. march into something so dreadful and so terrifying and so beyond our comprehension. And I think this comes down to that quote from Harry Potter where Dumbledore says to Harry, there's nothing to be feared from a body or from the dark. Both are just the fear of the unknown. And that ultimately is what it comes down to. And I think the very best horror actually hinges upon that fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. Because the moment you explain an evil entity like Hannibal Rising or like any of the many horror films is like, this is the origin of this horror icon. The moment you take away that mystique, the moment something becomes knowable or clear or tangible, it loses its power, I think. Well, question for you, Gabe. I know you're a big fan of the Hannibal TV series. I'm not that familiar with it, but that isn't as much of an explanation of Hannibal's backstory is it i'm not sure what it's actually the tv show is about as such i know there's a detective it's cat and mouse kind of thing but yeah it's no it's not of his back does that, it, does that such. fit that? It, it pulls it's funny because like the comparison i'm going to bring up because i was reading this interview with dan harm and the creator of rick and morty today yeah and he was kind of talking about how like so much of the show is based around the psyche of rick and how rick yeah. contradicts himself at every Pickle turn especially yeah exactly well, and like you know I suppose. anytime you think that he's growing or changing anytime you think that you have a handle on his motivations anytime you think you know why he's doing what he's doing there'll be something thrown in there to contradict it or to throw you off scent. And because it's not done in a way that feels inconsistent in the writing, everything feels in character for him, he becomes a really compelling character. And Hannibal the TV show does the same thing. It never, every time it kind of gives you an idea of what Hannibal's backstory might be or what Hannibal might, what might have made Hannibal the way he is, it will throw in something that just kind of contradicts it or something that just doesn't add up. And that to me makes him, I don't really find Hannibal the show scary because I think it's so heightened and it's so ridiculous. But I think that, whole unknown thing or that unknowable thing is powerful in that it can be terrifying, but it can be equally compelling. And so I find Hannibal, the TV show, probably more compelling than just about anything else because I'm so fascinated by the psyche of this character who actually on paper doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. Doesn't psychologically anyway, doesn't really make much sense. So if they actually tried to fully explain it, it would lose I think you'd lose everything. Yeah. I think you'd lose everything. And it's like one thing I think is true of the very best horrors is that what you don't see is almost always more terrifying than what you do see. Yeah. I mean, Jaws, you don't see the shark until the last 20 minutes, which you know is was done because yeah. the budget constraints and the shark looks shit and all of yeah. that. But it's terrifying because your imagination will always be worse. And I think that's why even things like the Ring Raids and Lord of the Rings, mm. I always found terrifying as a kid because I didn't understand them. I didn't know where they were yeah. from. Didn't I didn't know, what know was going on why. Them, yeah. I didn't know what was underneath the hood. And that was it. it was and you the weren't even unknown. really sure what they could do. They just yeah. seemed like they could do something. And and retrospectively, when you look back at the whole trilogy, it's like they're actually not that effective as yeah. bad guys. I mean, you're they're meant to dumb. sense the ring <laughs> and the yeah, hobbits are right underneath you. And you, you don't know that. Oh, I was terrified of them. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't take much for but me. It's, and they, <laughs> they, but they, everything about them symbolizes the unknown. It's like under the hood. What is under the hood? Mm. What, how, how amazing what they, is it that that endures? Basically like a screw up on the production design aspects of it has kind of like changed the way stories have told now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Except, except it kind of hasn't because – you talk about it and like the CGI gore and everything. I'm like, just don't show it. Yeah. Like, 
the greatest horror films, the horror films that created the genre, got away with showing very, very little gore. And I mean, I I have a immense disrespect for the art of horror in terms of the art of actually scaring someone with a film. I have a real disrespect for horror films that use gore as a way to do it because I don't find gore scary. Like I love the Saw franchise. I dearly love the Saw franchise, yeah. but I've never watched those films and found them scary. Right. I think the most effective ones are the first two, How old were you which are the least gory. Um, probably like 13, 14. I watched them when they came out. So right. 2005. So Because I, I was going to say, I, for me, like I'm definitely not a horror fan. I'm not afraid of them, essentially, especially I'm just kind of indifferent. But I, I definitely was when I was a teenager, like 14, 15, me and my best friend, we watched every single Saw film as they would come out. Then after we kind of like once we'd watched all the Saws that were available to us at that time, we just went digging for any other scary films. And it was very, it was, you know, we felt like we were being dangerous and grown up because we were watching something that we previously hadn't been allowed to. Yeah. But Saw for me was like that was the pinnacle of horror. It was certainly my, like the the most consistent I've ever watched any franchise. Actually, funnily enough, I haven't watched any other franchise as much as I've watched because I've watched all the Saw films. Yeah. But <laughs> Are you excited for the new one? Because I sure as fuck am. <laughs> really? For Jigsaw. I didn't even know what it there was coming out. Yeah, it's coming out this year. So, yeah, I've just, I just End feel of the like month. I've moved on. So I don't know. excited. How have you? What is wrong with you? I know. Just, I just, you just said you were really into the when franchise. When I was a teenager, and that's—I okay, mean—that's yeah. another thing—is horror definitely has a very, and we're going to talk a lot more about that later. They they have a very strong fan base, right? People who yeah. love horror really love horror. I don't know. I think that demographic is a teen. A big chunk of it is teen demographic, and there yeah. is something about when you get older, it doesn't affect you in the same well, way. Like, Maybe not. I don't know. Both of you have just said well, that for me, it happens in your teens. You actively sought out yes the scariest things you could find 100%. to try and like test yourself out essentially yeah so that's but with yeah. my friend like with my best friend like we wanted to see who could like handle it okay yeah it was but very see, competitive because yeah i mean horror film has a reputation as being you know teens go like teens go on their first dates and everything and blah 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 yeah. they go and they i mean i work in schools and the amount of like all the kids are talking about it everyone yeah, wants yeah. to go see it yeah and, that, yeah and it's like i i get that but i actually don't think the truly powerful horror films are films that are trash like that designed for teenagers to kind of, you know, go on a thrill ride. You know, I think I think there is an art to making a horror film truly scary. And I think there is a difference between something like Mulholland Drive or The Shining, both of which right. are enduring classics, well, and something like Nightmare on Elm Street 6, you know? Is Mulholland Drive considered a horror? Well, Or is it just like in that David Lynch genre? I don't know what else I would call it, yeah. though, because like calling yeah. it a th- I mean, I suppose it people is, call it, it a thriller, genre, but... Really, like- does it have traditional like horror okay, elements so to this it? This is or? one moment in Mulholland Drive, and so I, I, I'm pretty sure I've openly admitted what my motivation for first watching Mulholland Drive was in this show before. Yeah. If not, it's I was 14. I do not apologize for being a 14 year old boy. Oh. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. I knew that there was a lesbian sex scene in the film, and Mum had put a blocker was it on the internet. Because it was Naomi Watts. Yes, because yeah. I just seen King Kong and I had a really big crush on oh, her. Oh, she's so. Babe. I was like, yeah. So I like, I you know, I remember like surreptitiously walking to the video store and like eyes darting <laughs> around, like getting it off the shelf and saying to old Les behind the counter, "This looks like a very interesting film that I really want to see." And I remember kind of getting home with you know my prize and um, <laughs> and putting it in the DVD player and opening the DVD and realizing that like there weren't scenes you could choose from. Hmm. Because the Marvel Drive DVD comes without a scene selection mm. because David Lynch was like, no, you have to watch the whole film. And I was oh, like, oh, you were going to skip to the... Of course, of course I was going <laughs> to... I was 14. Like, I wasn't interested in David Lynch's, like, perfect crafting of the experience did of a you nightmare. Know? I was... Like, did like, you know who David Lynch was? Like, did not, you have any clue you that there was going to be the... the... You absolutely nothing about the film. Oh, boy. And so, you know, for those who don't know Marvel Drive, the premise of it basically is that there is a woman who is an actress. Somebody tries to kill her on Marvel Drive when her limousine's going along the street. She escapes because there's a car accident and Naomi Watts plays this young woman who turns up in Hollywood basically looking to become a star and she moves to this apartment and she finds that woman with amnesia in her shower and the two of them essentially try to figure out who this woman is, what has happened to her, how she's ended up there. Basic thriller drama plot, except it's completely not. So about like about 20 minutes into Mulholland Drive, there's this scene and it just cuts away to the scene. They're in this diner on Sunset Boulevard and it's just these two guys who you haven't seen before just having a conversation. And one of them is basically explaining to the other one about this nightmare he has. And he's like, I just keep having the same nightmare night after night. And basically I'm in this diner and it's like, it's not really day or night. It's kind of half night and we're sitting there and we're, we're talking, except I can see through the back of the diner and out the back of the diner, there's this man and he's just there. And I hope to God, I never see that man's face anywhere, but in this dream. 
And he goes, and I, I and he's he's getting really awkward. And he's like, and I, I brought you here today because, and the other guy goes, because you want to see if he's there. And he's like, yeah. The, the guy who's telling the story is really, really scared, but he gets up. And so the two of them walk out the back of the diner. And they just like very slowly and very methodically walk behind the diner. And they're walking and they're getting very close to this dumpster behind the diner. And they're getting closer and closer and closer. And then in this like sudden instant, all the sound just drops out. And this man just steps out from behind the dumpster. And it just, and I remember getting to this scene. And it was one of those moments, and the only other moment I can think of in my life that has ever had this effect on me was the bit in the ring, the I saw her face bit, where they pull open the door of the oh, cupboard yeah. and the girl yeah. with the fucked up face is in there and just kind of comes out of nowhere. And the man behind Winkies, the, the way he looks, it was just like this horrible, hot sense of pure, and I'm going to have to use this word, horror that went through me <laughs> at, the expre- at, at this person's face yeah. when that happens. And the fact that they just like pulled all the sound out of it, because it feels like when you see something like that, that really, truly terrifies you, it isn't just like, oh, jump scare, but like something that is just so viscerally horrifying, it feels like your insides have been sucked out of you. And by kind of having this sense of the sound being sucked out of the scene in that moment, it just it's just kind of that masterful direction from David Lynch that completely makes you feel the way these characters are feeling in that moment. And that happens. The guy who sees the man who's like been thinking in his dream collapses. They cut away and you don't see those characters again for the rest of the film. That's it. And just goes back to the story. You don't see that guy you, again? You, oh, you see him very briefly and at the is end. And it's discussed, explained, referred it's, to in any way? It, not, not at all. Oh, this you is why see, I hate David Lynch. You do see him like, because it turns out that the idea of the symbolism behind it is that later on in the film there's an implication that a decision Naomi Watts' character makes, like a really awful decision she makes, was made behind the dumpster behind Winkies. Okay. And she makes this like horrible life changing. I don't want to spoil too much because oh, like yeah. Mulholland Drive is very interesting. And so like later on in the film, you very briefly glimpse the man behind Winkies behind the dumpster holding this item that's very I've- important to Naomi Watts. And the implication is that he is symbolic for this choice she made. Okay. And because he's so horrifying. You know, you see, it's, yeah, it's symbolism. Yeah, yeah. But it's just because, again, because it's not explained. It's never understood. It's never gone into. And that meant that not only did this person have, this character in this film have this, like, visceral reaction from me, it was because I was so fascinated. I was like, what? Who? Why? What is this thing that's there? Again, the unknown. Yeah. Completely unknowable, completely not understandable, makes it so terrifying. It's the beauty of cinema, too, because you can't really replicate that in writing. No, no, you can't. Well, that actually leads me to my first question, mm. which is the talking about horror as a genre mm. and how it currently in 2017, it does seem to cross from book to film and now into television. Because I, I wasn't aware of any horror TV shows 10 years ago, but now they're coming up. I mean, American Horror Story being maybe the most well-known prolific, yeah, yeah. well-known mm. kind of but there, I mean, I feel like there's lots of like Hannibal's come out, and there, and it is like, well, a lot of them. Bates Motel, Damien, the, yeah, like, there you go. A lot of the classic properties have been turned into sort of TV shows recently. I mean, does the genre suit itself to television in that sense, or I is it just it that does. we're making more? Television? I actually straight up don't think it does. I can't. But does it of, suit itself to books? Do you think it, with TV it's because they're stretching? the thing out and it becomes too overexplained and it loses some of that. Yes, yeah. I do. I do because I think, I mean, Hannibal works because like I, I don't think it is scary. I think it's unsettling, but I never once watch Hannibal and think, oh, I'm scared about what's going to happen or anything. There are moments where I'm tense, yeah. but in terms of that fear that I think only The Ring, The Shining and Mulholland Drive ever and The Grudge as well ever really got out of me, I don't think any TV shows ever really got that from me, you know? Mm. And I don't think a book ever has really either. I think there have been moments in books that have unsettled me or creep, crept me Crept me out? Creeped yeah, me out. Crept. I'm going to say creeped. But yeah, like I, I actually think horror as a medium is best suited to film because yeah. it's a marriage at, of all the elements. Exactly. And yeah. at its best, horror I don't think is sustainable. I think an hour and a half is a great – or two hours is a great yeah. amount of time in which to take somebody on a thrill ride that will absolutely terrify them. But beyond that, I think the tricks become obvious. Yeah. It becomes too forced. And I think stretched over a long period of time, it doesn't really work. And I think in a book, you don't have that sense of – I'm stuck here, I'm stuck here, I'm stuck here, I have to see this through. In a book, it's like you can just close the close yep. the pages you or put it down away. or whatever. Yep. Okay, cool. My next question is, in thinking about horror audiences and people who actively seek, I think more to the point, actively seek horror films, why, you know, why do you think that viewers want to escape with a genre that stimulates fear and anxiety? And it's it's not necessarily, it's not a happy experience, right? It's stimulating emotions inside of you that are not positive. Why do you think it is about 
really diehard horror fans that love that. I think like sort of some of the best cinema has always been an escape. Yeah. So for a lot of people it might be they're working nine to five and when they go and see a movie after work on the weekend or something, they just want something a little bit different that might jolt them and maybe to try and feel something. And if you, I guess if you're looking at film genres, horror is the one that might make you feel maybe not the most, but like it'll make you feel something, whether mm-hmm. it be fear or, you know. Have you guys read Tomorrow When the War Began by John Marsden? No. Okay. Yeah. So that that is one of my all-time favourite book series. And there's this great line in one of the later books where I think um I think it's Homer is saying it where he's talking about because you know it's about a bunch of teenagers who get caught up in a war and they become guerrilla soldiers and all of that. And it's it's very much about like their emotional experiences and everything. And Homer kind of has this great bit where he's talking about roller coasters. And he's saying the reason people love roller coasters and they love theme park rides is because they get on there and they have this experience where they're terrified and they think they're going to die and they get off and they think they're, they, they, they think they're spitting death in the face, you know? I think horror is kind of the same except even the safer option yeah. in yeah. that you watch it and like the safe, probably the safest option that you watch it and it's designed to take you on a thrill ride. It's designed to get your heart like pumping, to get your adrenaline going and for you to finish it and think, oh shit, and kind of feel shaky and feel like you've been on this absolute roller coaster. And I think that's it. And I think... I mean, the distinction between horror and thriller is a tough one, but I think it's designed to thrill you and to scare you and to have you on the edge of your seat and to get an emotional reaction out of you that, you know, I think, is it like an endorphin rush or something? Is that? Well, I think, I mean, I do think that we, adrenaline is released when you watch really scary films. Absolutely. Yeah. And and for me as well, I, I suspect, I mean, you know, you look at the great kind of tragedy films, like romantic tragedies, and you think, why would you go and want to watch two people have a bad time? But people do, and they do it again and again and again, and it's that that catharsis. And I wonder, not being a huge horror fan myself, but I wonder if the catharsis comes to play, that adrenaline mixed with the catharsis comes into play of the experience of watching horror, if that's if it's a similar kind of feeling and a similar release for the audience. I think so, and I think... I do think this is this is probably like a bit of a cliche, but like I kind of shared on Facebook and Twitter recently this story written by a girl who's in one of my creative writing classes. Really, really creepy, unsettling short story she wrote. And it's also just an amazing piece of writing. Yeah. It was done in response to like it a, really a prompt for, you know, a horror short it story and stuff like that. But you saw a few people like kind of commented on my Facebook and stuff were like, oh, you know, like maybe like get this girl some help and stuff like that, or maybe talk to her parents. And I was like, and I was I was sitting there and I got so angry. I was like, no, fuck off. Like, she wrote this story in response to a writing prompt. When she finished it, she wasn't sitting there being traumatized or, like, you know, having obviously exposed some terrifying trauma in her life. She was so fucking proud of herself. And she was like – and, you know, I saw her the other day at a different workshop and she, like, asked me to print off that story so she could show it to everyone because this girl's, like, incredibly proud of the fact that she's done a really good job. And she's made a really effective piece of writing. And my response to people who say, oh, you know, that's disturbing, something like that, I'm like, I wrote worse stuff when I was her age and I had no horrible trauma in my life. Like, I just think as – as humans, we're fascinated by the darkness. What was yeah. the prompt? And where the prompt was like a couple of images. So it was yeah. like a, a dead girl in a forest. Well, there you go. Or You're going to get a dark story about yeah. a dead girl in a forest, which is literally what the story is about. Like, yeah. you know? So, and I just think, you know, particularly as kids, there's this morbid fascination in stuff that we maybe haven't experienced. And also, I think, they often write about it with a level of innocence that they don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Com- sometimes it's not that dark to them. You know what I mean? Well, it's just like, oh, Barbie's dead. You know, like it's just the matter- yeah. difference between standing up and lying down. Because they haven't really experienced it as much. Like, yeah. You know, I wrote- and we're projecting our own understanding of the darkness onto something that is quite innocent. Yes, absolutely. And like, you know, I wrote, like, I remember writing, making this like awful, awful serial killer film when I was like 13, which will never see the light of day, which was basically me just trying to make like Science of the Lambs or yeah. Psycho did you or something. Act in it? Yes, I did. I, I played a <laughs> I played a policeman really who was secretly that. a serial killer with a split personality. Oh, oh, boy. oh yeah. And I have an American accent and Do, everything. Is was there a copy name? in existence? <laughs> huh? Is there a copy in existence? There is, yes. Theoretically. And the sequel. There are two of them. Is it do your parents have a copy of this? I have the only copies. Was you, his name like Bill or Phil or something only, like that? <laughs> no, no. Is the only copy in the house in which you live in currently? I can neither confirm nor deny. Is um, it on a USB? Is it on a hard drive? What are we talking here? What, are we, what physical manifestation is no, this? No, I actually straight up don't know where it is. These are hard-hitting questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be on my dead old laptop. Gabe, I will buy that laptop off you. <laughs> Let me have a look. $20. I actually think I could have. I'm, I'm not embarrassed for you to see it, but like I'm a little embarrassed for you to see it. Yeah. But, then but we'll like, bootleg a copy, yeah. obviously. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and then sell it on the black market and all of that. Yeah. But no, I reckon like if – but like because I remember making that film and showing it to my parents and they were like horrified. They were like, this is really disturbing. <gasps> Why are you making times. stuff like that? So, and I was like, because it's cool and it's interesting and I am fascinated by this stuff. And I think, you know, having a fascination in the darker side of life is inherently unhealthy. It's just being human. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like it's like people slowing down when they're passing car crashes and things oh, like that sure. because yeah. we are fascinated. We can't help it. I was talking to my mum the other day. I mentioned the Seasons of Fear, the horror thing we're riding. And she was like, oh, it's first Dracula, now this. I'm really worried about you and this horror thing. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I, I long ago learned to tell my parents to shut up yeah. when they were like, oh, why are you writing about such dark stuff? And I was like, probably because I haven't experienced a ton of dark stuff in my actual life. Yeah. And so, but like, you know, obviously you sort of, you That's get older. you dare and, to go into that. Exactly. Yeah. And you. But people always say like, write what you know, but sometimes half the fun is writing in well, things that you kind of want to exactly. explore. So you research. Like, you don't have absolutely. to have experienced the everything that you write. The guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, so I think something Doyle, yeah. Arthur Doyle, Doyle, something yeah. like that. I think he's a sir. He had Conan never Doyle. set foot in, Conan, is it? Sorry. Um, he Conan had Doyle. never set foot in London. Okay. Before he wrote Sherlock Holmes. And Sherlock Holmes is one of the most distinctively London characters. But so it, iconic of London. Uh, yeah. yeah, but and he and he was able to, you know, obviously capture that brilliantly. So it's like, right, well, you know, but you know. Yeah, read a book and look at a photograph. Yeah, like your imagination is extraordinarily powerful and mm. like it's I don't know. I agree that I question the whole right what you know. I think right what you know in terms of like a human emotion. Yeah. But not necessarily everything else. Yeah, I agree. All right. My next question for you guys is, oh, okay, this is an interesting one. Do you think that a horror movie, and I'm not coming, I actually don't have an opinion and I may form it as we discuss it. Do you think that a horror film or horror films are more likely to appeal to male audiences? Because do you think that they are less forgiving their characters or female characters end up getting killed more often than male characters or have a harder time? But also I'd like to add to that characters of color as well. Do they, you know, suffer the same? It depends on the film. To be honest, like, and also like, do you I think mean, it's case by case? Do you think maybe even like? I think some of the cases can be lumped. Together. I, I also in a period of time. Yeah, like, but, do you think maybe even like those horror films of the nineties and early two thousands? Actually, could kind you of, say that about any film from that period of time? Possibly know? could mm. be a equal critic. But if we're talking about like classic eighties horror films, actually, I personally and the, the people of color. I mean, that's a cliche. You know, the black person dies first, things like that. Like, yeah, and that's but is, something is that, that can true? be. Do you think? Well, that that's I, I definitely a think like having watched a lot of classic horror, I do think yeah that exists. However, like the whole idea of horror being inherently misogynistic or anti-feminist. Yeah. I don't think that's true at all. You don't think I think there's a very good reason that the whole final girl trope is a thing. And yeah. I mean, if you look at the classic horrors, the most iconic characters in those classic horrors outside of the killers themselves are always like Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween, uh, Heather Langenkamp, Ripley in um, Heather Langenkamp in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And if you look at those, like those are characters who, you know, um, Jamie Lee Curtis has died and come back so many times in the Halloween franchise because she's so inherently tied to Michael Myers. She's back Same again, with, isn't she? She's back the, again, yeah. the new one they're making. Same with Sigourney Weaver. They always want her back in Alien. Same with, with Heather Langenkamp in Nightmare Before Elm Street. Uh, Nightmare Before Elm Street? Nightmare on Elm Street. They killed her off in the third film. They made the second film without her. That sucked. They brought her back to the third film. They killed her off. Then they brought her back in the seventh film again because she's so intrinsically tied to that franchise. Every single one of them has like, more than males, female characters who actually are the ones who end up defeating the villain, almost mm. always. Terminator is another one. Linda Hamilton's coming back for the next one. And the first Terminator was unquestionably a horror film. Yeah, I mean, Jodie Foster, obviously, in Silence of the Lambs, Lambs well, but yeah. also this is actually a thriller, I'm certain, but uh, Panic Room, she's brilliant in Panic yeah. Room. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an excellent film, but it's not quite the right genre. But then what gives me pause is looking at, it's actually funnily, looking at films like Scream and looking at Captain in the Woods, which we're going to touch on those cross-genre horror films later, but those kind of self-referential films, they definitely draw attention to the fact that, you know, it is a trope in horror that a promiscuous female, or male, I suppose, they, a promiscuous female will get killed. It's an equal opportunity thing, though. I think the whole- you think that I, equal- I, I absolutely do because whenever way. people go and have sex in a horror film, it's they not like the girl die. dies and the guy gets away. They both die. Right. And you can read into that whatever you will. Like, I mean, yeah, I think it's a thing that if you have, like in script, they say if you have sex, you die. And there, yeah. there probably is something to be explored in the fact that it's usually the virginal woman who survives at yeah. the end. But I mean, I think that also evolves because like, you know, do if you, you think look that at- trope, we've lost that trope. Do you think that was in the past and we've horror modern? Well, I think in the case of those iconic characters like like Nancy and um and I'm drawing a blank on Jamie Lee's name in the Halloween franchise, but who cares? Because fuck the Halloween franchise. But like those are characters who you know end up being like mothers who are often single mothers who have kids and sort of lose that whole like oh you know we're the young pure virgin thing and stuff like that and actually develop and they go places and stuff like that Ripley was a mother in Alien as well so I just don't think it's quite as cut and dry as people think it is Uh I think yeah horror does have this weird thing where it's like if you go and have sex whatever your gender you will probably get stabbed and there's probably a ton of symbolism in that yeah but but yeah I mean I don't think it's it's purely tethered to promiscuous girls but specifically the question being do you think that horror films are 
more appealing to male audiences? Do you think that there is a divide? Like I look at my, you know, my best friend, we were both females and we loved the Saw films. And I remember we had male friends that would kind of come in for one film, but no one, none of them were kind of like as invested as we were. That's just anecdotal. That's not. Yeah. Maybe they didn't like watching films with you guys. Yeah, it's funny because it's my friend Ramon is the one in question that came and then just left. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it's true that m- there is a greater male horror audience, but I think it is a question. I think the stereotype is definitely that that's the case. But I mean, I, th- I feel like I can only kind of talk from anecdotal evidence here. And that is that I know probably more women yeah. who are passionate about horror than I do men. Right. Like I actually think. Yeah, I think I'm probably the same. Off the top speaking, of my yeah. head, I would think it's like a 50-50 split, but I don't have the stats in yeah, front of me. I'm not sure what I, it is. But I feel like horror gears itself in advertising and everything. And particularly, you know, I mean, there are lots of horror films where it's like, oh, you know, the busty girls and, you know, they're going to get naked and everything before they get stabbed and stuff like that. So I think inherently there is that maybe idea that it does gear itself more towards males and the male gaze and things like that. But, but I don't know, like I, I think off the top of my head, if I can, if I'm starting to name friends of mine who are horror buffs or really, really love certain horror films or certain horror franchises, it's more women than men, I think. But possibly, I mean, like I sort of touched on before, I, I feel like it is changing because I look at American horror story, which is, look, I don't know what its fan base is, but I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a predominantly female fan base because looking at the casting, looking at the kind of stories that they tell, they're very empowered women in the few series that I've watched. And then also looking at like Bates Motel, like they brought Rihanna in mm. and then they, they didn't kill her. You know, they, they're switching it up, which, you know, maybe uh, speaks to the change in the genre. Well, I think, happening. you know, the change there is like Psycho was 1960 and oh, for this sure. is now. So it's like, I, I do think at that point, I suppose when I think classic horror, I kind of think more like the 80s sort of slasher films sure. more than anything else. Yeah, <clears throat> But yeah, like, you know, her getting killed in the shower and Psycho and everything, I think was very much of its time and probably did start a bit of a trend then. Mm-hmm. But but I do think, like, I loved what Bates Motel did with not killing Rihanna and killing the shitty boyfriend instead. Like, I thought yeah. that was a really, really savvy and very, very sort of modern twist on a very iconic scene. Um, so I don't know, maybe, I think it just probably depends on the property mm-hmm. more than anything else. Right. All right, the next bit, and this is a, this is kind of a bigger one. What is the difference between a horror film and a thriller film? Because I personally, if someone ever asked me what my favourite genre would be, I'd say thriller. I used mm. to be political thriller. Now I've opened it up to all thrillers. So, what do you, what do you think a thriller is? For me, for me, a thriller is is about suspense. It's about mystery. Big component is mystery. Whereas horror, I think, also has suspense, and that's the common link between horror and thriller. But I don't think horror has to have mystery, and I also think horror does have to have a certain amount of gore, even if it is small and pointed. It does have to have a certain amount of gore, where thriller does not. Have to have any gore. There cannot be a single drop of blood. Need to have gore for me. It's more. It can be more of a psychological thing. I think the psychological horror isn't that just a thriller though. But also like super. What's a psychological horror? I mean, I know like supernatural horrors tend to not have that. Like the ring doesn't really have any gore. The grudge right. doesn't really have any gore. Okay. Like it has sort of, you know, it's because it's then creepy they ghost stuff and everything. You, you'd say I would say definitely... horror. I, I don't know. I it like, follows doesn't have much what's in the way no. of gore. They're just they're psychological things. They get under your skin. My first instinct would be to say that's a horror. For sure. So how do you separate the two genres then? I don't know. I was scared when I watched it. <laughs> but I get scared during thrillers. Yeah. Thrillers I once went, I used to go to Melbourne Uni and we'd have like three or four hour breaks between classes. So sometimes I'd go and see movies and I watched that Halle Berry one where she's in the call center. Oh, yeah. It's just called yeah, The yeah. Call. And that's just and a thriller. And it's Abigail Breslin, isn't yeah, it? It's, yeah. That's a pure I've thriller. That. And yet it has, the, it has like, I guess, horror elements to it. But I don't know what they are. I guess it's just that feeling of being on the edge of your seat. And but that's thriller to me. Yeah, but also so I, I, I realise this with thrillers. When you go watch a movie, they show trailers that are in similar style to that. And So I went to see this thriller movie and they were showing trailers for things like The Conjuring. And I'm like sitting alone in a dark theatre and I didn't pay for that shit. It's too <laughs> scary. I didn't want that. You walk out in the trailers. My first inclination <laughs> would tend to be to say that horror maybe is more supernatural like supernatural stuff is horror, but then I'm like, you know, I, I think the first two Saw films yeah, are Saw's thrillers, but I think after that they really become horror. Cuts and I think his own legs. That's horror, huh? right? No, but you don't see it. You actually Dude, go back and watch it. You actually well. don't see it. Mm. You see like him starting to cut, but you actually don't see it. Like whereas if it was one of the later ones, you'd see right. fine detail, every yeah. serrated blade going through. It got very gory for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think when gore becomes in and of itself the aim, like in the Hostel films and the later Saw films, I think that's horror. And I think supernatural is as well. So maybe it's kind of a certain gratuity. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even so, like, I mean, there's so many horror films like The Ring and stuff where it's not really gratuitous. It's more just about the creepy ghost stuff that's going on. Right. I honestly don't know. Like, there are films that's interesting. It's though, a like, line. 
Jaws is one of the best, I guess, horror films of all time, and yet See, by today's standards, it's not a horror. Yeah, and even like Silence of the Lambs, you know. I remember reading a lot of stuff where people say, oh, you know, it was the first horror film that ever won Best Picture. And I'm like, is I think Science Lambs is a thriller. I think it's almost the perfect example of a thriller. Mm. I, I almost I really, would put Silence of the Lambs as a thriller. In my head, it kind of is too. Horror is more like, far out, I'm shit with horror. But yeah, it's like Scream and it's, I guess, Evil Dead and stuff like that. Like first Evil Dead, not when it goes, you know, ridiculous. But yeah, it's a, re- it's a fine line. Like, well, I think horror takes a certain delight in not only scaring you, but also killing people a lot yeah mm-hmm. so like you know i mean even in the ring it's like you so know, this-, this person dies and this person dies and they pick off this person this person this person whereas like in a thriller i think it's less it takes less delight in the kills as such like final destination for example is all about the ways in which people die yeah and yeah, so yeah. with the omen films that was the, so I, with the i've Saw watched films, all the final destination like, yeah well. and we were watching sorry it was final destination at the same so time. maybe it's like you know a a certain delight in death that a thriller doesn't necessarily have. Right. Whereas a thriller I think that's a can be classier and more psychological. There's a little but I mean, bit, that's nebulous at best. There's that's... a little bit more focus on on the death itself, maybe. In yes. Horror. Whereas thriller, it can be related to death, but it's it's less about the specifics of the death. Also, perhaps. a thriller yeah, probably maybe. has a storyline that doesn't necessarily revolve around staying alive. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's more about solving house. the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So uh, if we look at suspense, right, which is something that can we agree is a vital part of a great horror film, it needs to be suspenseful. Definitely. So if we say that that is a core ingredient of horror films, can a film that uh, genre relies intrinsically on suspense, do you think horror films survive rewatches? Because if we know what happens and it's relying on the suspense of what's going to happen, you know, does does the rewatch have the same effect? I'm going to draw a comparison here to The Notebook, which I love, because even though I know what happens, I love watching them fall in love again and again. But that's because I, when I walked into that film, I knew what was going to happen. But that's and, not a horror. No, I know, but I'm trying to, that's what I'm trying to compare it to other genres okay, and say yeah. other genres don't rely on the mystery, like, but then you've kind of answered your own question there because, right. like, ultimately I think it comes down to, like, anything. I mean, what's that great quote that somebody said, which I think lines up perfectly with my personal belief on this. A classic is a story that never finishes saying what it's got to say. And I think a classic horror film is the same as a classic any film, where it's like, I mean, even anything that's not horror but doesn't have an inherent power or strength or sort of maybe layered – I was going to say layered goodness, and you know what I'm going to go right ahead and say it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Writer. Um, but, like, but yeah, I mean, I, I think films that have subtext and have things to explore and have and reward rewatches, those films are singular and amazing no matter what the genre is. And I mean, something like Science Lambs or Jaws, I can watch again and again and again and still pick up new things every single time. And I think that speaks less to the genre of it being horror necessarily and more to the craft of the film. Like I watch Jaws now and I'm like, fuck, I just admire the way it's put together. I admire the way it's made. I love the dialogue. I love the characters. I love how it has so many things happening where it's like, I I can watch Jaws and be caught up in the plot of it. I can watch Jaws and love the kind of mechanics of how it all comes together. I can watch Jaws and just enjoy spending time with the characters. Like Mm -hmm. it's got so much going for it that I think it doesn't rely just on the suspense, even though that's probably the first and most shallow thing that will grab you. Right. But as a different kind of horror film, can you find the same sort of rewatchability in like a slasher? Or are they, well, I think for, it, less, for lack of a better word, a, a trashier sort of film? It speaks for itself in that I don't really rewatch those slashes as much. The, yeah, like, that's probably. It, like the Nightmare on Elm Street films, I love because of the time in my life when I watch them and I have a certain nostalgic appreciation yeah. for them. Like I'll always love Freddy Krueger and stuff like that. But in terms of something like Psycho or Jaws or Silence, which are films I just go back to again and again and again, and like I've rewatched more times than I could more times like care to admit. Yeah. Like, and that's because those films have so much going for them and so much going on under the surface that they reward those rewatches. Whereas I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street five, six and seven that's, do. That's because I, I think those films that you mentioned go more in towards the thriller and they just have that actual storyline and the characters and the things you connect to. Whereas slasher films are just kind of like you sit there, you watch people die and you go, ah, oh, cool. And then you don't watch them again. But then I guess I suppose we've all, because I started out this saying, I, I believe Mulholland Drive is a horror because I don't think there's anything else for it. And that's, I think, because the primary emotion it evokes from start to finish is horror. Yeah. And maybe that's what the definition is. But Mulholland Drive isn't like a film that is picking off characters one by one or delighting in death or anything like that. It's just a film that literally exists to scare the shit out of you. Mm. Probably more than that. But I think it also does. I mean, it just got voted like the best film of the last of the 20th century or something a couple of years ago really? or something. Yeah, yeah, in like some some major poll, it made news and everything. Mm. But like, and that's because it is actually a classic that has a lot more going on. But I would say first and foremost, it is designed to terrify you. Yeah, yeah that's true. That is its primary focus. 
All right, what about the role of indie filmmaking within horror? Because I remember when I went to film school, we were all making short films. We got told that a horror, a genre short film will do better in a festival or has more options, I suppose, because there are genre-specific festivals that have a lot more of um, sort of an audience, more of a built-in audience than, say, your your broader um, drama films, right? So, you know, in looking at the bigger context of film in terms of mainstream films, certainly a horror film isn't going to be as big as your Transformers, your big action films, right? But then when we shrink it down, horror films, at least what was kind of explained to me within the indie film market, are like kind of a giant because they have such an inbuilt audience, because they have... Because they're cheap to make as well. Maybe because they're cheap to make, but also because they've got fans that are really loyal. And But they seem to, from what has been told to me, they seem to turn up for the smaller films as much as they do for the bigger films. Mm. My question is, I should say, is do you think that horror fans behave more like a community than other genres? When I was in the midst of my Saw obsession when I was like 15, I remember like when Saw 4 was coming out and I was so obsessed with those films. Like I scoured them for clues and things like that. And I spent a lot of time on Saw forums, like (laughs) debating the Saw films. And like every time like a new picture was released, like Entertainment Weekly from Saw 4, I remember like pouring over it and analyzing it. It was only for this one film. Then Saw 4 came out and sucked. And then after that, like my passion remained, but that that was the height of it. But like, there was definitely this sense of community where it's like, you sort of like for this brief several month period where I was like totally invested in like every new screenshot from Saw 4 and analyzing, was this going to be the one when Dr. Gordon yeah. came back? Oh, look at that picture. There's a man and he's in a silhouette and you can't see his foot. That's probably going to be Dr. Gordon finally coming back after sawing off his foot. Like, <laughs> And there was definitely like a real sense of community because you sort of got to know the people on those forums and stuff mm-hmm. like that a little bit. And I know that that totally exists in like all kinds of fandoms everywhere, but I kind I think of, it's especially potent for horror because I do. Well, I mean, you've got websites like Bloody Disgusting and Dread Central and things like that that basically just delight in or old magazines like Fangoria and stuff that are all built around just delighting in a love of horror. Yeah. I mean, and I, I guess. And you don't get that for films like Hell or High Water. Like there, I don't no, know how many don't. Hell or High Water forums there are. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's some, but not in the same capacity. Like those kind of, those dramas, those dry real life dramas. It yeah, doesn't yeah. seem to have the same sense of like. They don't capture do. fandom like horror. And I think it's yeah. that sort of. But it's not heightens. alone. What do you mean? Well, I mean, there's fan like uh, you know, there's superhero that same passion films. for superhero films or Game of Thrones, for sure. or Lord of the Rings, or whatever it is. But know? I think that's just genre. Like that's yeah. kind of heightened high in concepts. In yeah. These heightened high concept elemental stories that sort of just capture people's imaginations in a certain way. I don't. I don't really know what I guess the magical ingredient is. But I don't know. I, I, I'm still. I think like in the back of my head, I'm still ticking over like what defines horror as opposed to thriller. And I think it is the light in scaring people. And it is when it's like the film's first and foremost purpose is to take you on that roller coaster ride where you are scared and to leave you sort of heart pounding. And a thriller can do that. But thriller is inherently scary. Yeah, but a thriller doesn't probably put that front and center the same way. And it is also probably a different kind of fear. I feel like horror is more like. It is general fear. fear. Yeah, yeah. I really do think that a thriller takes more focus on the story and it it takes you on the roller coaster, but without like. It's more about the mystery. Yeah, they don't. Like, horror just puts that importance on making you just feel it. Well, there's a difference between being in suspense and being terrified. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Thrillers, I think, foreground suspense, horror foregrounds fear. That's it. Yeah. I think. We did it, guys. Yay. (laughs) I've actually never known the answer to that question. (laughs) I feel like I've had a real breakthrough tonight. Someone will tweet us, you're wrong. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Well, it's such a subjective (laughs) question. It really is. is. You know what? I hope someone tweets me and goes, y'all are wrong. Yeah. This is a very clear distinct. Like I want to know what everyone else's distinctions are because they'll probably convince me. My final question for you two gentlemen this evening is looking at cross-genre horror because horror is one that has been crossed with other genres uh, I mean, even like, you know, there's horror comedy. Like I'm thinking more recently, like Scream Queens was very comedic. Or even Scream in the 90s. Well, and yeah. then I think the, the the most potent ones, in my opinion, would be cross-genre, meta, self-referential films for me looking at Scream and Cabin in the Woods, which I loved Cabin in the Woods. Scary movie. Cabin in the Woods yeah. made me open my eyes to things that were happening in horror films that I wasn't even aware of, that I wasn't, yeah. and it, it, I almost felt like it was a lesson in genre. When I saw it, I had watched many horror films, so for me it was kind of like, oh, okay, yep, all right, cool. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I really like that film. It yeah. doesn't stand up that well for me. I haven't rewatched it. I've you haven't seen it? Time, but no, I've seen it. I oh, just haven't rewatched it. it. Yeah, I've right. rewatched it recently. It didn't really hold up. Yeah, okay. Are there any other films, I guess, that cross genre horror films that come to, that feel- Evil Dead? What's it crossed with? Well, it's horror comedy, basically. Yeah, okay. Like the first I one it. was like it. So, do you, are you familiar with the franchise? No, not at all. It's completely mental. The first one was like this really, really nasty, low budget horror made in the eighties, and it's like it's it's the quintessential teenagers go to a cabin in the woods, weird stuff happens, and the first one is like it's. I think the problem is that like it's meant to be scary, but it's so campy. I watched that, it a couple of years ago for the first time, and it's dated so much that it's not even scary anymore. It's, it's just really funny. Like, oh but then, but then, like the second one leans into that. So the second one is essentially a remake of the first one, but it's like, for some reason, Ash, the main character played by Bruce Campbell, goes back to the same cabin with his girlfriend and the same stuff essentially happens. Can, but I, then- just, can I just ask, because I haven't seen the second one, does he have any memory of the first or they just like ignore Yeah, he it? does. Okay, he, so he, he mentions it. Like, he goes, does he like- it's, it's really, the continuity is fucked. They yeah. like, they, like the first part of Evil Dead 2 like recaps Evil Dead 1, but in a way that kind of contradicts it. And the third one does the same thing and the TV series does similar things and it's really yeah. odd. But then like, about halfway through Evil Dead, no, about like a quarter through Evil Dead 2, it just kind of stops trying to be scary. And then like, you know, Ash's hand gets possessed. So he like cuts off his hand and then like there's kind of this tooling up montage of him strapping a chainsaw to his hand that ends with him just being like groovy. And then like he just ends up fighting all the deadites with a chainsaw. Then like in the third one, he goes back to the medieval times and fights zombies in medieval times with his chainsaw hand that he later replaces with a robotic hand that the alchemist in this castle makes. And he fights stop motion skeletons and he just kind of, and they just get dumber and dumber and more and more sort of delighting in the insanity. And then they've got the TV show Ash vs. Evil Dead, which just came out a couple of years ago and basically, you know, picks up with him sort of 20 years later. And that that kind of works really well in that it is funny, but it does have moments where it is quite scary and quite edge of your seat. And while having sort of the heart and long-term investment you need for a TV show. And so that kind of does balance the genres really well. Whereas I think some of the earlier Evil Dead films kind of spilled too much into the humor. Well, that's kind of my question, I guess, with this, what I, where I'm leading to is when you cross horror with comedy, which is maybe the most I mean, I don't know if there's a horror musical. There definitely is, and that would be excellent. But when you cross horror comedy, is it really still a horror? For me, I, my experience is that it takes away from any real feeling of fear from me because it's they're um, kind of the opposite of each other. So, you know, the question is when you get these cross genres, are they actually cross genres or are they just comedies with kind of like a horror it's a, tone or not tone? how it's theme. done. I think. I guess, yeah. I think because, I mean... Like you said, it was about the balance of how yeah, you Yeah, and there's a lot of talk of, like, horror and comedy going hand in hand. And I, I think, you know... Well, so I don't think it does. Is, well, I actually think it does because, I like... I think it's entertaining, it's, but I don't... I think it diminishes from horror. Well, for example, there's things like, you know, like, one thing that it doesn't get nearly enough credit for is that Hannibal has an incredibly funny streak. Right. Like, there are moments where it just will do something where you're like, what? Wait, what? Like, and it's just like, it's just, it could be like in a one-liner or something that happens and it just kind of is very, and Brian Fuller, the creators often said, he goes, no, no, we're, we're aware of, even though it's like an incredibly dark show, they're very aware of how ridiculous some of what happens is because Hannibal is completely absurd. Yeah. Like it's so unrealistic and why I think it works is that it's so aware of it. And I think Ash vs. Evil Dead kind of works too. And I think part of that- Were you scared in Ash vs. Evil Dead? There are moments I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm like, okay, if I was more squeamish and bothered by gore and bothered by scary zombies, but like that stuff doesn't scare me in straight up horror films. Like zombies and stuff don't really bother me, whereas they do scare other people. Um, But I think I'm watching Ash vs. Evil Dead and I'm thinking, yeah, I can see this having an impact on people and scaring the right people and everything, but I think the humor doesn't actually offset it. I don't think it detracts from what's going on. I think the two kind of walk hand in hand because a comedy, when you watch a comedy, it's kind of almost- on a base level for the same reason you watch a horror. It's like, I want to be taken on a thrill ride. I want to sort of feel emotions and laugh and feel these big over-the-top emotions and kind of get to the end and feel like I've sort of been on a fun, if not especially impactful or lasting ride. And I think those do sort of walk hands in hand. I think if they're balanced well enough by the people making them, I think they can totally coexist. Scream was scary and funny at the same time. I, why don't we finish by saying if the audience listening to this podcast – some may be horror fans, some may not. What's one horror film or cross-genre horror film that you would like them to go? Like if they're like, huh, this is interesting, I want to go watch a horror film and 
make my own evaluation of the genre, what's one film you think every person, horror fan or not, should watch? And I think, Gabe, yours may be Mulholland Drive, but maybe not. I think for the if we're all in agreement that sort of the main purpose of horror is to scare 100%. and to terrify, then Mulholland Drive, absolutely. It's, a, it's still the scariest film I've ever seen. Yeah. Sean? The Shining's the scariest thing I've seen. The Shining, you'd say go watch The Shining. Yep. That would be my second. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm too scared to watch my home drive now. <laughs> I really want you to because I really want to talk nah, to someone about it. Start with Inland Empire because that's I think great. The Shining affects me more so because the, the horror stories that I find work on me are the ones that are about places that are isolated. Yeah, yeah. So that for me, like I even like this isn't a horror film, but Signs really like fucked with me when I was a kid when I watched it or when I was a teenager just because I grew up on a farm and it was set on a farm. Yeah. And it no, was just like tall corn things. It was aliens. And then, but like again, even in the Lord of the Rings, they're scary when they run away from they yeah. run away from something in that. But then M Night Shyamalan kind of fucks it because you get to the end of that film and then he just literally shows you what it is. Yeah, Whereas for most of the much. film, it's that like it was like me after I watched the film looking out my window on the farm where we've got like tall grass and I was like, oh, what's out there? And then he shows you at the end. You're like, fuck <laughs> you, you idiot. But yeah, I don't know you. Uh, I, got, I wish I'd actually thought of it. I know I posed the question and I wish I'd come prepared. Off the top of my head, Cabin in the Woods, just because I think it made me think the most about the genre. But I actually really enjoy, and I don't watch every season, but I actually have a lot of love for American Horror Story. Um, I think any do you, oh, I, think, I just hate Ryan Murphy. Oh, yeah. I yeah. fucking hate Ryan Murphy. Is that Ryan Murphy? Yes. Yeah. Who did um, Glee. Glee. Really? And yep. Nip Tuck. Nip Tuck is great. I loved Nip Trash. I've watched the, every episode more than once. Yeah, it's trash. And that's not, yeah, okay. I Kath, can't really also watched it. every single part of the Bachelor franchise. So <laughs> yes. really, like, you love you some trash. I love the Bachelor. Like, oh, my God. But that's that's not what we're talking about. Speaking I, of things that scare me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, it's so fucking good. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I have a little love for the um, for American Horror Story. Uh, when I do watch it, which is not every season, admittedly. I know anything that I think uses Sarah Paulson and Kathy Bates every single season, I'm on board for. I think they're amazing. And Kathy Bates, I mean, looking, she's got a, you know, a grounding in horror as well. I mean, um, yeah, she's Misery. Got credentials, yeah. Brilliant. Sure. Like, yeah. Well, on that note, I've been Kath. I've been Sean. I've been Gabe. Thank you for listening to Horror. And if you've got any opinions or sort of, objections or whatever to what we've been saying email us in at movie maintenance at sanspantsradio.com otherwise tweet us at mm sanspants or individual individually i'm at goldberg moser I, I have to look mine up i she's oh. at kath atkins five even Thanks. i know that and i'm at psychic of dowie and yeah tweet us what horror films scare you yeah absolutely see yeah. you next time listening if you want to help support the show why not become a member at sanspantsplus.com and get early access to our shows a bunch of exclusive content and much much more that's sanspantsplus.com